We're continuing on our sermon series we're calling Worshiping the God of All in All of Life. And so today we're considering the notion of worshiping under pressure. We all experience various pressures of life in different ways. There's big pressures of life, whether it's a big project at work or school, whether it's demanding people in your life, caring for children, caring for parents, financial pressures, major health things that bring pressure in our lives. It's those big ones. There's also the medium pressures of life, um, the water in the basement after it rains, holiday plans um, with family dynamics and navigating that, the bu- just the busyness of our schedules and the, the fact that it makes us tired and not knowing when we'll get uh, rest or catch up on things, just the pressure to pressure to eat better and to exercise more. and to, um, Those are kind of your medium pressures. Then we have small pressures of life, the pressures of getting caught in a detour on the way to church. Were the, were the roads open for this service? Okay, the 9 o'clock people were very frustrated at the road closures, but praise God, run for the troops, uh, doing good work. But, um, you know, getting out of the door on time, just you lose your keys, you lose your homework, you lose your sock. Where do they go? It was with the other one the whole time. Little pressure. So whether it's a great big pressure or just the little annoyances of life, we feel these pressures, we face them. And collectively, all these pressures can take a toll on us. They take a toll on our emotions, on our, our mental health. They take a toll on our relationships with other people around us as we experience those pressures. Um, they're just, it, it takes a toll Because what happens is the pressure comes in and then anxiety comes out. Or the pressure comes in and fear flows out. Pressure comes in and depression comes out. And it can be crippling to even try to to move or uh, fight through. Or pressure comes in and then performance comes out. So you feel the pressures of life and I'm just going to work through this one and I'm just going to strive all the harder to get past it and it can become exhausting. What about if pressure comes in and worship comes out? That's what I want to consider today as we look at Psalm 143. How do we worship under pressure. And the context of one, Psalm 143 is uncertain. Uh, this is a psalm of David. We're not sure of the exact situation. Some people do think it goes with the psalm before it, with 142, which would put it in the time when he's on the run from King Saul. Uh, that could be the situation. But clearly here, whatever the context, this is a painful and a, distress, a dress, distressing situation. David experienced a lot of that in his life. If we look at the Psalms of David, the 75 of them about that we attribute to David, 53 of them mention specifically enemies, David's enemies. And for him, he had literal mortal enemies, uh, threats to his, his life. And so there's just this, he, he writes and he prays through these things, just these raw emotions of the soul and the anguish of of his life at times. This psalm uh, in particular, is it speaks very generally, so we can think of it with more of a universal application, which is good for us because 
however we experience it, we all experience these pressures. And these pressure points can either drive us towards God or really away from God. And the hope is that under pressure, we would be people who seek God, who worship and know God in those things. So that's what we want to learn today. And we're going to explore Psalm 143 to see how it points us to be able to do that. Let us pray. Father, as, as we think about this notion of the just pressure in life, and we, things come to our mind and we hold those before you. And we also just ask, Lord, that you would cause us to think of certain things that we might consider to be pressures right now in our lives. And we hold them before you because we want to be people of faith. We want to be people who um, navigate this with you in faith. But we confess that we are weak. We confess that we don't always do this well. And we just need you. We need you to show us your way. We need you to intervene. We need you to sustain us, Lord. So we pray that as we, as we look into your word right now, that you would teach us. Show us what you want to show us that we might worship you as you deserve. So we do pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's sort of three steps, if you will, of, sort of, wor of worshiping under pressure from Psalm 143. The first is to start with who God is. Look at verse 1. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. So right away in verse 1, the whole basis that David could even seek the Lord in the midst of this pressure is because God is righteous, because God is faithful. It's not because David's cause is righteous necessarily, or he has somehow earned the right to have God intervene. It's the fact that God, as God, has made promises to his people that he is faithful and that he is righteous in all he does. He is faithful to hear us as we call on him. It has nothing to do, when we reach out to God, it has nothing to do with that we have earned that. Because look at verse 2. He says, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. You know, we have to start with who God is and realize we have no right in the world to approach God or to seek his help, or to get his help, accept his great grace. Because, as scripture teaches, there is no one righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, we've all turned to our own ways. That is the reality of the human condition, that we have all sinned and separated, us, separated ourselves from God, yet... His grace is sufficient, and we can call to him in the midst of our distress because he's that good, because he is that gracious. Um, so I can't stand before a holy God. I can't stand before a holy... I can't stand before a holy God. Sorry, I had trouble spitting that out. Except by his grace. And we remember who God is. And we remember his past actions. Look at verse 5. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Just remembering God's past faithfulness. And you'll remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, that remembering God's past faithfulness helps me to stand firm in my present crisis. And I bring that up again 
not only because it's here in our text again today, but it's such an important concept that we always need to be people who are grateful for God's work in our lives, to remember that he has been with us and that he can sustain us through the present pressure that we feel. And if you look back at your life, kind of where you're at, and say, you know what? I'm trying to count my blessings and I just don't have any. I'm having trouble remembering God's goodness in my life. That's fine, because you know what? we got a whole book full of God's faithfulness to his people through history. Romans 15.4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide us, we might have hope. God has been faithful. It's documented. We have all the scriptures that show how God has again and again reached out to rescue people who are very broken and people who are in despair and people in distress. And God is faithful to his people generation after generation, even if you can't think of it in your own life. It's true. And our faith is uniquely historical. And what I mean by that is, so we were in a conversation yesterday with the folks on the Alpha Retreat. So the, those doing the Alpha course went for an overnight. They were in Ipswich. They are having a great time. Um, and experiencing their alpha program in the process. But we got into a conversation yesterday about, you know, what about, how do we understand other faiths in the world? You know, people believe different things. Are these all just kind of different paths up the same mountain? And we say, actually, the Christian faith, unique in world religion, first of all, because of the grace of God, but historically, that it's not just ideas about God that were written down. It was the actions of God in human history, you know, through, the, through a nation of people over generations and what God was doing and unfolding about himself. And most importantly, through Jesus Christ who came and walked and lived and taught on this earth and died and rose again and was witnessed by people. This is, these are historic events that people spoke of and wrote down. It's not just ideas, but it's actions in history. And we always need to be people to remember that God is, has been at work through history and in our lives, and we cling to his faithfulness in our present trouble. We start with who he is and what he's done. That's the first step. The second step, so we, we acknowledge who God is. Then secondly, we admit where we're at. Honestly and earnestly. Verse 3. Take a look. The, the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. Just a very low and a dark place. It's okay to be real before God. And I'm glad that these things are not edited out of the Bible. These things could easily just be taken out. All this kind of God's people feeling so down and so depressed and so, so much despair. But we see all these emotions in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms. We see the betrayal and the hurt and the weakness and the frustration, depression, and even the anger and outrage. You know, we feel these things too. So I'm glad this is precious to me. That's why I love the Psalms, because we have this whole range of emotions. The most precious Psalms. Psalm 23 is one of the most precious Psalms uh, for uh, for God's people. 
And it's just, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think it's precious not because of the green pastures and the quiet waters, but because of the valley of the shadow of death where we fear no evil. That even in the darkest valley, that our God is with us through those places. And we just hear the, just the darkness and the loneliness of, of, of David's cry in this psalm. And we realize it's the real me who God loves. And I struggle with this because when I pray, and I'm just confessing, when I pray sometimes, I, I go to God with these pretty good prayers. They sound really, I, I compose them in my mind, say, God, you know, here's, and I say it in such a way that I think is just good and, and accepting to God in some way, but totally may not be where my heart is at. Like I'm going to somehow impress God with the way that I pray. And, and I feel guilty if I'm feeling down or depressed or not. I'm feeling like God's not real close to me at that moment. I'll pray in a way that sounds like he's really close to me. Maybe I can fake it till I make it in my prayer in some way. And yet, it's the real me that God loves. So authentic faith does not have to ignore or suppress these emotions. We can pray through pain and through anger. There was a monk, uh, St. Ignatius, he's called, a Spanish monk, 15th, 16th century. He described a way of praying that I found helpful in my own journey. And it's described as a prayer of consciousness or a prayer of examine. So basically, at the end of a day, you just rewind the day, or rewind the past 24 hours, and just what happened? Just reviewing it in your mind. Where were those moments of joy that I can be grateful for? But where were those low spots? Where were the shadowy spots, things that I might need to confess, or things that I experienced that were really hard, that caused me anxiety, that caused me to be depressed? And just reviewing the day, and I can know, how is my soul within me as I pray? Because it's the real me who God loves, so I can just pour those things out to him. And if I don't know why I feel off or why I feel that God is distant, I can pray a prayer like Psalm 139. And Laura mentioned Psalm 139. I love that because it's about, God, search my heart. Show me what's in there. And God can bring those things to mind so that we can be real before him. But being honest about where where we're at. Even naming our enemies. Verse 3. The enemy pursues me. You know, do you have enemies in your life? My guess is that you probably do. You may not have mortal enemies that are trying to kill you, but there's probably people in your life who are rooting against you. People who are frustrating you. Maybe even frustrating you intentionally. You might be related to some of your enemies. And we name that. We feel bad if we have enemies. Jesus, didn't Jesus say, love your enemy? Yeah, he said, love your enemy, but he still calls that person enemy. That person still exists. It's how we treat them is important, but it's all about being honest about where you are at. So therefore... When we turn to God, it's, it's who he is first, where we're at, and then lastly, the third step is to pray, is to actually pray. 
in one way or another, every person on this earth has to have a way of coping with the pressures of life. You have ways of coping. I have ways of coping. Some ways of coping are healthy or neutral. You know, some people, one way to cope is to, you know, to exercise or work out or, or just rest your body or to focus on a hobby that's fun or you know, to escape a little bit. You know, things like that can be okay. Some people, a coping mechanism would be alcohol. And for some people, that's in moderation, could be okay. For other people, you know, how much, how often, could be actually quite destructive. People rely on medication. Now, we believe as a church, we teach that, you know, medicine can be a gift from God, that if you're feeling anxiety or depression, that there are medical interventions which can be very helpful. But just because your doctor has prescribed it to you does not mean that it should in any way replace what God desires, the ways that God desires for you to cope. So it doesn't replace the work of God, even though it can be helpful. We can become very dependent on those things. People escape into into just fantasy in different ways, or people escape into their work. You know, they're, they're feeling those pressures and you just go, just working just as hard, ways of, kind of a, as a way of escaping. We have the coping mechanism of prayer. That's the gift of God. And sometimes it's the only one we have, as Laura mentioned. You know, I trusted God for my, my girls to, uh, or I asked God for my girls to trust and obey him. They did, but they trusted him into dangerous places. I can't just go get them. I just have to trust. I have to pray. And sometimes it's all that we have, but we realize how powerful it is to be able to pray through these pressures. My favorite, one of my favorite New Testament verses from Philippians says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, we feel this great pressure, but as we pray, we can experience God's peace. It's a peace that's unexplainable. It's a peace that's greater than the situation, to know that God is at work. So we, we are people who pray. Four tips of how to pray or what to pray for from Psalm 143. One, pray for wisdom, verse 8. Show me the way I should go. In verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. God, show me what you need. I need your wisdom. I do not have it. And there's a lot of humility in praying for that. To say, God, I'm not coming to you with a plan I'm asking you to bless. I'm coming to you to somebody who does not know what to do. And I I believe that you are a God who gives wisdom to your people, and I'm asking you, God, give me wisdom to navigate this pressure of my life. God, show me what you want me to learn through this. God, I believe that you are not going to waste this pain. And if I commend to you Pastor Dan's sermon from a number of weeks ago, um, the Shape Sermon on experiences, that God doesn't waste your experiences, that there's things that he is showing us even through difficult things. So pray for wisdom. Secondly, pray a prayer of relinquishment. This, we see this in verse 8 as well. To you I entrust my life. That's a huge phrase right there. I put my life in your hands, God, whatever I'm facing. This is the hardest prayer to pray, so I say this as kind of tip number two, but this is the hardest one. Do I truly believe that my life is in God's hands, however this situation turns out? 
And I'm reminded throughout scripture, others who have prayed this kind of prayer. You think of Queen Esther. She said, if I, she was under pressure. And she said, if I perish, I perish. We have King David, when his son is seeking to usurp his kingdom, he says, let God do to me whatever seems good to him. Knowing that he might live or die, he said, let God just do whatever God wants to do. The Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. He's just, I, my life means nothing except that God is doing his thing through me. That's a complete relinquishing your life to God's hands. That's a huge prayer. And of course, we remember our Lord Jesus, God the Son. In his moment of pressure, as he's facing the cross, he's praying to God the Father, saying, God, if you, if you could take this cup of suffering from me, take it away, but not my will, your will be done. And he commits himself to the, to the hand of God the Father, and he goes to the cross and gives his very life. But God was faithful. Christ rises from the dead to bring new life in a whole new way to the world. It's this prayer of, I entrust my whole life to you, Lord. So we pray for wisdom. We pray relinquishment. Thirdly, we pray against your enemies. Verse 12, in your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Are we allowed to do that? Pray against our enemies? Because Jesus said, love your enemies. Uh, I think he said that. He did. He did. Pray for those who persecute you. And yet we see it time and again, we see this praying against the enemies of God. Look at Psalm 109. Instant regret after we put this on the screen. Um, go in this road, but here we go. This is David's prayer against one of his enemies. Ready? May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. That's brutal. Like That is, that is a prayer against an enemy right there. Uh, may his children be wandering beggars? <laughs> Ouch. That's in your Bible, so we have to deal with that. Um, that sounds vindictive and harsh, and it is harsh, but remember what's at stake, and remember at what time it's written, where actually the enemies of David are genuinely the enemies of God. It's not David's reputation that's at stake. This is God's kingdom through his anointed king, David, and that these enemies of God are, are, are these enemies of David are, in essence, attacking God. It's God's reputation that's at stake. When there's an injustice and when something is, remains unpunished, that this is not good for God. And in praying this way, you're, the, the person praying, the petitioner, is handing it to God and not taking vengeance into their own hands. But remember today, God's kingdom isn't a literal political kingdom like it was in that day. So we live in a spiritual kingdom that Jesus ushered in, and the enemies are more spiritual in nature than actually political enemies. So this type of 
sort of Old Testament prayer, um, you know, we wouldn't pray those kind of harsh words. But we can pray against the work of our, the enemies of our life because what it does is it say, God, you take care of it. God, you judge evil. And we know that God judges evil and we know that God judges sin. Just look at the cross that Jesus Christ was crucified, bled and died because of sin. God judges sin. God punishes sin. But we're, it, it, vengeance is not ours. So Romans 12, you know, vengeance is, is the Lord's. We put it in his hands so we don't have to seek revenge. We say, God, you take care of my enemies. You stop them. And then what's our role? We, we actually are called to pray for and bless our enemies. We overcome evil with good by seeking to be a blessing, not to curse. We don't curse, but we certainly pray against those things. So there's a, there's a little tough balance there. I'll leave the tension. I'll just leave it because I can. Pray for wisdom, pray relinquishment, pray against your enemies, and lastly, pray for the Holy Spirit. Verse 10b, may your good spirit lead me on level ground. We know that God the Father loves to give us, his children, good gifts. That's what God does. One of those good gifts is his very spirit, God with us, to empower us, to guide us, to know that we're not alone, that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are indeed his children, that we are his possession, that we are not alone. And when you get that pressure on you and around you, you can feel very alone. You can even despair. But God's spirit says, no, you're not alone. And it's your power. You're not just operating in your flesh. Oh, God, give me wisdom so that in my strength I can do this. No, God, give me wisdom so that in the power of your Holy Spirit, I might go about my day confident and strong and persevering, that it's his spirit that will sustain us. It's not our strength. It's his very power. Pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in a way that, will, that you can walk through the pressure. So there you go. So we start with God. Secondly, we acknowledge where we're at. And then thirdly, we pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray relinquishment. Pray against your enemies. And pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. This is hard. What I just described is not an easy thing to do. When that pressure comes, that easily, the, one of the most natural feelings is that somehow God is judging me, that God is, or some God has abandoned me, God is not with me. But our hearts can be turned back to God in the midst of that. We just need God. Even more than we need God to change your situation, you need God with you. Look at verse 6 one last time. I'll close with this. I spread out my hands to you, I thirst for you like a parched land. The greatest need is I need you, God. So let us pray. God, we need you. And for anyone here, Lord, in the sound of my voice, who's facing pressure without you, I pray that right now we would just turn from that for all the ways that we've tried to do it on our own, for the ways that we have not exercised faith. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us. And we turn to you again. We turn our hearts to you and pray that you lead us in, in a good path through, through these dark places, Lord. We receive your grace that we can even approach you. We, we receive your grace that we can know you and know your presence with us through this, Lord. 
Help us to know that we're not alone. Help us to know that you are accomplishing good things that we may never even see or understand, but that you are indeed a good God and a good loving Father, Lord. We recommit ourselves to you this day in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.